welcome to the aggressive life. I don't need to know anything about you to know this. You and I are different. And that's a good thing. Whether you're young, old, rich, poor, male, female, when our differences work in tandem, we're stronger. But each of us runs in circles that are trying to homogenize us. That's why it's so easy to live in echo chambers of people who think like you, believe like you, vote like you, and live like you. Today, we're meeting a powerhouse in business who has found a way to harness the momentum that comes from being different, overcoming setbacks, achieving incredible amounts of success. Her name is Sandra Kakowski. She spent more than two decades in online marketing and business development. She started her first multi-million dollar corporation as a young mom and is now the founder and president of A Real Change International, which is a $20 million empire. She'd been recognized by Forbes, the top 20 marketing influencer, a top 20 women's social media influencer, and a top 50 social media power broker, blah, 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 blah. We go on and on and on about all of her abilities and all of her successes, all good stuff. She's a giant. But today, we're going to get into the power of our differences and pushing through the boundaries to be an overcomer. Welcome to the aggressive life Sandry, Sandy Krakowski. I'm sorry. I, I keep going back and forth with Sandra <laughs> or Sandy. I know, I know a lot of... Sandy's good. Sandy. Sandy's good. All right. Sandy. My kids' friends call me Mama Crack. So when I was raising teenage boy, I'm Mama Crack. <laughs> How many kids do you have? Three sons and a beautiful grandson. Wow. Yeah. How, yeah. Grandkids Greatest work I ever did in my life. Greatest work I've ever done in my life is grooming those men. Oh, you got three men even. Yes, man. How do you think as a as a as a woman who's obviously conquering the business world, at least it looks like it, uh, from what I just read from your accomplishments, how do you think having three sons has affected you versus if you had three daughters? Do you think it wouldn't have make any difference? Um, I think as we dive a little bit more into my story you'll see that God picks the most of unlikely suspects <laughs> who yeah. are completely unqualified according to what we would think is qualified. One part of healing my trauma was to really understand the differences between masculinity and femininity. My grown sons and I, we've healed so much together and grown together, but I knew that it was really important even by the time they were 11 and 12 to start grooming them to be the protector, to be the provider, to help mom, to, to understand caring for a woman, to understand, you know, what your temptations might be, whether it's to objectify her or to abuse her and where that may come from and to groom them for success as men and to even partner with other men in our lives and ask them to help father my sons. And I can tell you 100% God has blessed the desire of my heart with those three men greater than anything I could have imagined. And so are we a perfect family? I'm just unfiltered, Brian. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't use that word thing, on the aggressive but, life. But this just one say thing heck I no. Do know. <laughs> this one thing I do know, there is a God in heaven and he loves us and he is interested in every area of our life. Did yeah. you, when when you mentioned you knew your, 
your sons needed a dad and a mom, mm. or at least needed mm. both those influences. You mentioned uh, you needed to make sure they were protectors. Mm-hmm. This is today, this kind of language is getting out more and more, at least in faith communities, that men are supposed mm-hmm. to be protectors instead of predators. Uh, hmm. Are you looking back on that now saying, I was normally trying to build my sons that, or, or were you early first to market that you were in on that kind of thinking way back when? You know what I mean? I believed in masculinity and femininity, the way the Bible teaches and that which we are already designed from the, the get-go. And so I am not a feminist. I have had over $100 million run through my hands with my corporations. I'm an alpha female, but I love my femininity. But what happened is I knew that being a strong, powerful businesswoman, there is going to be an environment here that could set them up for me with my femininity, either overpowering them too much and which will degrade their masculinity as it's growing or to feminize them, which is, you know, quite frankly, the real pandemic that's going on, but I don't, that was for free. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, and again, I'm, I'm sure I made mistakes. I was healing through my trauma and part of trauma, especially in a woman, I believe where you see the disintegration of the feminine is where there's trauma. So I definitely, we all have masculine and feminine, and I definitely am going to operate in my, um, my results driven and oriented masculine side and apostolic type nature to get the job done. Or why are you doing the job, you know, yes, right. <laughs> in the corporate world. But I also know that for me to stay in my masculine energy all the time is utterly exhausting. It's, it's not good for my health. It kills my hormones. And it, uh, and if a woman stays in her masculine, she's going to attract feminine men. So, so talk. And about I don't that. have an interest in that. <laughs> this is this is fascinating. I don't know whoever told me to get Sandy on. I have no idea who you were. Email me. Thank you. This is all right. I'm already having fun here. Put it. You said put on your masculine self. Hmm. What what does that mean? What's the process through which you? put on your mask and you're using that positively. Actually, you have to put on your mask. Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, you know, men have estrogen, women have testosterone. We have masculine and feminine natures, but you know, God has such a sense of humor because he takes man who has such a single focus and is very logic oriented. And he says, okay, you need to partner with woman who has diffuse awareness as Alison Armstrong so beautifully talks about it in understanding men. And, you know, we are emotionally more governed than in our logic. And he says, no, co-create and have fun together. And it's like, (laughs) what? You know, but understanding that when I'm in the gym and leg pressing 500 pounds, this is a masculine results oriented type energy. When I have a campaign and I want to make a million dollars that week in my company, that is a results driven energy, a a typical masculine type energy. Masculine and feminine does not necessarily mean man or, or woman. It's just in its very nature where woman is so much more a nurturer. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I found in my companies, especially because of some of the trauma that I dealt with and judgments in the church for being a female owned business owner and somebody who thinks out of the box and, you know, I'm counterculture and question all the status quo, which just tends to be in my DNA, as if for some reason there was something 
um, threatening about me in the masculine. And, you know, a lot of um, the body of Christ will create the feminine ideal is, you know, ladies Bible studies and wearing a dress. And this doesn't just come off of my listening to some sermon, you know, Brian, the reason I believe I have found out that I had such a strong desire to understand my nature as a woman. And that was because my very first predator in my life was a woman. And so statistically, I should not be a feminine woman. Statistically, because of the amount of predators that I had in my life. Is this your trauma and, you're talking about? The trauma? Yeah. yeah could I go oh, there yeah. For we're us? talking yeah, tell, real yeah. trauma. We're talking stuff like gang rapes and things like that kind of trauma. Gang rapes by so, other women towards you? No, that was with a man. Okay. But the reality is that a female in my life who was a caretaker was my very first predator from the ages of two to five. And so because of this, when you study neural pathways and you study the development of children and you see that that should have put me in a situation to not wanting to be a woman. And yet it did the opposite. It made me want to be what I was made to be. I had a radical encounter with Jesus at 12 and wow, I've been walking with him more than I haven't. I'm 58 and understanding the whole dynamic of male and female, the different governments, government in the church, government in the home, government in the world. And what, I mean, my constant question was, what do you require of me? You know, I thought God was completely off his rocker, but finding my femininity was so healing for me because the more that I would heal from my trauma, the more that I found that little girl, that angry teenager who just wanted to be soft and not have to be a fighter all the time, that wounded wife and young mom who tried to do everything on her own, I didn't have the environment of that femininity. And yet God has restored what the enemy tried to destroy. And I didn't intend for it to be a part of my message in business, but it is. I actually find it's very refreshing hearing you talk about femininity and masculinity because most of our culture is just conditioned to to never talk about that at all. Just don't. We're just, no, well, we're, or we're just, they think that masculinity is synonymous with toxic, toxic. masculinity. Yes, exactly. That's where but I was going. The very nature of a man is to protect. When a wounded man, in my conviction, begins to be predator to his female counterpart, that is evidence of trauma. That is evidence of denial of his DNA and his protocol. Because, and, and you know, I was, a, I was a single mom at one point, um, but I was like a single mom and a widow raising my children, even in a marriage. And so that kind of attack, I think feminism, quite frankly, is a reaction to the oppression on women, but it's not the right re response. It's a yeah. reaction. And putting things in little boxes so we know how men are supposed to do this and women do this and you're not allowed to speak in church and cover your head and make sure you everything's in its little box is also not the answer. <laughs> well, a lot of folks who are where you are, who have been bruised by the church, who've been bruised by uh, the trauma that they've undergone are just becoming kind of professional deconstructionists or professional naysayers of Christianity, or professional anti-church people, uh, what makes you different? Well, it's something because um, 
the religious spirit has gotten so strong on Facebook lately. My Facebook page reaches several million people organically. And if you just want to take on the state of the denominations in the body of Christ, just look at some of the comments on my Facebook page. It's just like, what? Where, where is this coming from? But the emphasis on proving a point by going to extremes is so unhealthy. And if I make a statement about the body of Christ is sick, the moment I say anything about the church, people think I hate the church. No, I don't hate the church. But I think if we don't realize that the, the church universal, the body of Christ is ill, not operating to her capacity, not transforming cultures, not influencing, not being the head and not the tail, we're in the mess we're in because I personally think we haven't taken our position in the different mountains of influence and where we should be. My assignment is not in the church. My assignment is in the financial realm, in business, in media, in the financial kingdom. So because of that, I deal with things in a completely different way than people might who are used to or accustomed to ministry, which means that when I make a statement, this is not a hateful statement. And so my love for Christ at 12 years old was not groomed and formed in a Sunday school class. It was a very traumatized little girl who had had her childhood taken from her, violated repeatedly, gave myself to a boy by the time I was 11, because to me, that was the only love that I knew was that kind of violation. And when I encountered the radical love of God, he truly was my daddy. He truly parented me. And so when I was then in the church system, a lot of the dynamics made no sense to me because I was a diligent student of the word of God and the Greek and the Hebrew and that. By the time I was 13 and 14 years old, studying the Strong's Concordance and asking God question upon question. But I also know that the whole hierarchy that exists in the body of Christ, the oppression on women, the we've got to control things, less, less things get out of control. And the whole, we're grooming you to go into the world, but the moment you go into the workforce and start making millions of dollars, hold up a second, you better be careful. <laughs> you know, we, we, we say we are grooming people to impact the world, but we pull them back into the church the moment they go into the dark place. As soon as they start impacting the world, we start assuming something funny is going on Something's here. wrong. Hold on, wait a <laughs> something minute. Something is wrong. You're actually making money. Oh, oh. You're talking that. to that rap artist who has a demonic type song. I mean, that's what we're called to do, are we not? Yep. Like we're called to go to Burning Man and influence. We're called to go to the, you know, porn cons. We're called to go to the Salem witchcraft conferences and make a difference. But if Is we're there only such making- a thing? There's Salem witchcraft conferences? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You've been to these? No, but I'm aware of them. Why are you not going to these? What are you, some weenie boy woman who just can't well, do the hard stuff? Well, to be stuff? honest with you, a lot of my trauma has really held me back from a lot of what God called me to do. And my mode of survival was to just do what he called me to do from the comfort of my home behind a screen. I didn't ask him to make me a multimillionaire. I didn't ask him to give me millions of people on my social media. I didn't ask him for a verified account. Mm -hmm. And the more healed I got, the more I came out from behind the screen and realized, wow, people are like more afraid of money and more afraid of 
being an influence than, than anything. Like, I don't know if they're just not impressed with the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ, or are they, they more aware of how quickly they could slip? Well, do you think we're afraid of money or do you think we're afraid of people who have more money than me? I think we've been indoctrinated to be broke from the get-go. I believe the educational... Here, want me to read to you what I posted on my social media yesterday? Yes, please, go ahead. <laughs> if, it's, if it's any good. I, I don't promise. I just put it out there <laughs> and you decide. <laughs> the educational system wants you to struggle and so they sell you a dream you'll never achieve. That does not mean that the entire educational system is corrupt. But typically, the traditional educational system is grooming you to be an employee. They're mm. grooming you to survive. The government will gladly come in and breastfeed your weariness and give you free money. The financial world will prostitute you and lie to you until you're broke. The church will make you terrified to get wealthy. The media will sell you a fantasy that leads to poverty. And before we know it, the family unit will be strangled to death. These are the states of the mountains of influence as I currently see them. So it, the fear and the phobias of tied to money. And then of course, if you're a Christian, you're going to spiritualize it because right. it couldn't be your ego. It couldn't be your trauma. It couldn't be wrong beliefs. It couldn't be that you've been indoctrinated with a lie. It must just be a spirit called mammon. So you mentioned the seven, you mentioned the seven mountains a few times. What, what are the yeah. seven mountains? And I'm, and to tell you the truth, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. There's a lot of different teachers about different mountains of influence. But when I was building my first business and made a million dollars and asked God, like, okay, what the heck does this mean? I began to study people like, you know, Bill Bright and uh, Lance Walno and uh, Johnny Enlow and all different kinds of people who talk about the business world. Um, Ed Savoso, uh, Oz Hillman, cut my teeth on them. I had never heard that God could actually put you in business as a ministry, that God did not have a mindset of secular and sacred, that it was all the same, and that he wanted us in prominent places of leadership so that we could be a benefit and a blessing to the whole world, not just the church. He's not coming to Christianize the world. He's coming to save the world. <laughs> he came to save the world, which means that if I bring a benefit to a company, not because I'm leading them in a Bible study on Wednesday, but because I'm actually maybe changing the way they view vacations and sick days and allowing people some flexibility, I've not only benefited myself as a believer, but I've benefited everyone because their family unit means as much to God as mine does, whether they know him or not. Yes. My belief is not predicated on, I want to help you because you're a brother or sister in Christ. No, my belief is I want to help you and make a difference because God loves you, whether you know him yet or not. And that mindset sounds very romantic and makes for a great sermon and preaching and a woo, amen, and throw your shoe, depending what church you're in, <laughs> or run around the pews. But when it comes to the nitty gritty, when the person's like, you know, Boy, I, they almost stoned me when I started talking about Justin Bieber having radical encounters with God six years ago. And the amount of people are like, well, you better make sure he's a Christian and you better make sure he does this and you better make sure this is legit. It's fascinating. I'm like, just this morning, my daughter just went to a uh, concert, Justin Bieber concert, and they came back and just told me what happened. He's like, dad, he's just like- He's a prophet in this generation. Completely, completely. He talked about the things he Absolutely. was saying and what he was doing and yes. packed out arena and- Yes. Uh, wow. Good for Is Justin Bieber putting no. his faith on his sleeve and good for Justin Bieber for not yeah. signing with a Christian label. 
Fantastic. Yeah. But it's fun because what you say, I've never really heard a whole lot of people say, and I've been saying it for 20 years, and that is we spend more time in the workplace than we do any other place in our life. And why are we not trying to make a difference that goes way beyond just a Wednesday Bible study where a couple people come to the corporate little meeting after work and we're, our goal is how fast can we get them to church? Yeah. How about making a massive difference whether your coworker overhears a Muslim, your coworker overhears an atheist, and somebody overhears a believer. I mean, I had an atheist do an endorsement on my book yeah. because of his love for how convicted I was, not just my opinion, and my willingness to treat him in the same way in my investment course, in my business course, than I would anybody else. A lot of people would just be are just very uncomfortable with this, and I actually I think I'm I think I'm talking talking the choir right now because most of the people have already stopped this podcast and went on to the next one. But I think uh, they ran to my Facebook page to give me uh, a mouthful. Is what well, they did. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, this is this is not a uh, religious or faith podcast. This is a side gig of mine. That uh, but I am a pastor by day and, and it is daytime. So and that I that man by night. <laughs> that's right. I have a living, vibrant faith, so it just comes out in it. But I know that, and we've attracted a lot of folks who are, have a community of faith or church background or in a church, all that kind of stuff. And those folks, maybe it's just all people right now. You say those folks, probably all people, take a look at what's happening in our culture. People are very paranoid about somebody who is doing well. People are very paranoid about somebody who is making money. Uh, in the church, it's sort of like we believe that loserliness is next to godliness. Like if you're really down in your luck, then you know God's really good with you. Vince Lombardi don't was onto something. Border, yeah, don't Vince, pray that your borders are expanded because as soon as they are, everybody's going to suspect how it happened. Borders expanded. <laughs> borders expanded. Whoa! Take new territory. Take new territory. Wait, wait. Jesus taking away from the person who hasn't been faithful with a little bit of money and actually giving it to the people who have more money because they're more faithful. Wait, what do you? Whoa, whoa. These these are things in the Bible, but we there's something about our culture, and I don't mean just church culture. I mean overall America culture right overall. now. We're very overall. cynical and skeptical about somebody doing well, and I'm afraid to do very well. Much. It's just unfortunate in the church that we have some supposed Bible verses in isolation to throw against it. So give us a sermon why we shouldn't feel bad about doing well and being successful. Well, let's back up just a wee bit. The book that I'm writing on healing your mind and healing from trauma and understanding how the church has left out the physiological aspect of this, that we attribute challenges, difficulties, anxiety, depression, anything that looks like it's not a faith, it must either be sin or the devil. And yet the physiology that takes us into hypervigilance, that puts us into survival mode is the very design and essence of our creator because our brain and our mind were not made to thrive. They were made to survive. Hmm. Trauma would kill us. We would be dead as a human race, but the soul is the seat of where thriving will come because that is where our choices are made. That is where we part, where our beliefs are revealed. You know, you don't have an action without a belief. And so we have to look at how did we get here? And my personal conviction is prior to the pandemic, we as a body of Christ were idolizing our meetings in the church, making sure we had all our ducks in the row, 
making sure we're protected from anybody that believes differently than us and making sure we're hiving off as a community. The pandemic hits and you've got all these people leaving social media. Now tech is the enemy. And I'm not, and I'm going to comment on that. Social media is the destroyer. You have division being sewn into the airways at a level I've never seen in my lifetime. And ironically, where the body of Christ could have risen to her greatest hour, made a difference, gave a message of hope, spoke life into the dark places and made a difference. We were more concerned with hiving off onto a social media channel where we're not going to be censored or hated. So now again, we're all hiding out in our little cocoons and this divisiveness is spreading like crazy. Now, Elon Musk, who's one of my my heroes that I respect so very much, said this. Artificial intelligence, AI, is a greater danger to humanity than even nuclear threat. Putin blowing a nuclear bomb into the middle of the United States could never have the tragedy level that social media and how you are being groomed to not think and how you are being groomed to only hang out with people who think like you, how your worldview is only being subjected to what you enter into your computer and on your phone, and you are becoming remiss to anything else happening. The whole tunnel effect that is causing not only a dumbing down of our senses, but it's, it's literally annihilating constructive thinking And so when you understand, like in the movie, The Social Dilemma, that what's going on in social media did not just happen overnight. And the tech world is not the enemy. They actually catered to the environment that was already existing. And algorithm doesn't exist before human behavior. Hmm. People who are now experienced trauma, I believe it was a global trauma. Because the definition of trauma is when your rights are taken away, you don't know when it's going to end and you have no idea like how you got there. Hmm. And so now I I was on social media going, okay, if all of you leave, who do you think is going to make the influence? Hmm. On top of that, you have people who lost everything and it began to look like we all were going to die. We were going to be broke forever. We're losing our businesses. Small business, obviously, were assaulted. But at the same time, 2 million people started trading in the stock market who had never traded before, who were taking these stimulus checks and attempting to trade, some of them not very wisely. I call them teenagers, a lot of these retail traders. And the whole attack on, (laughs) the whole attack on capitalism went to an all-time high. And the orphaned generation at its greatest, the 20 and 30-year-olds were the biggest hit because you've got the orphan spirit so active there. And, and I'm trying really hard to the unpack orphan spirit this. That, the but, orphan spirit that you're, you're alone, you're very alone, someone's holding out on well, you. Well, the orphan so. spirit comes from not being parented. And so the orphan spirit believes I have to do everything on my own. That I'm not only that, but I must suspect anyone having more because that means I will have less. And the study of the orphan spirit comes from a lack of fathering and mothering that left our our nation so long ago. And so you have people figuring stuff out on their own. We have people being parented by television and social media and the movie world and what their local friend says. You don't have a respect for a company 
a capitalist, an entrepreneur who builds a company and offers a thousand jobs, you have suspicion because we've been programmed through the media to judge the rich, to be suspicious of the rich, to blame the rich. And before you know it, we're not looking so much at the moral fiber of our nation. We're looking at who's the wealthiest. They must be the enemy. And then that message is coming from the government. That message is coming through the media. You know, I mean, this is a long time message, who's a book the, called Thou Shall Prosper. Who's, who's the villain in in media, it's it's the person who owns a business. Who's the who's the who's the awful person? It's the corporation always. Who, who's the person who's always sinister? It's the person who has a lot of money. It, it, you know, it's never somebody who's on welfare who's doing bad things. It's never somebody mm-hmm. who's just a normal schmo making hourly wage. Our conscience is formed to think that people are doing well in those places. Something's weird happening right now. You mentioned thou shalt prosper. You talking about Daniel Lapham's book? Yeah, 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 yeah great book. And, and you know, you're sold an American dream, but you're groomed for years to be an employee. Like I tell people in order to trade stocks, you have to get out of a corporate America mindset. You must confront your issues with money, greed, and fear, or you cannot make money in the stock market. This is a 95% emotional game. And so if you're feeding into all these corporate businesses are, are evil, People look at Jeff Bezos like he's the devil incarnate. Millions of small business owners got their livelihood on that platform. Hmm. Millions of small business owners are what gave him his power. So when you are using your life and death ability given from, from God, life and death is in the power of the tongue, to curse a multi-billionaire who is providing an opportunity for small businesses to have a job, you're bringing a curse on your own finances. Right. When you're judging the billionaire who wants to do what needs to be done by a billionaire because it's going to take an enormous amount of money, saying it's evil, you destroy your own potential. It's no longer the dreamer who sacrificed and you know gave up their own comforts and confronted their own whatevers so that others could benefit. It's now... You know, everybody was cursing all the tech companies and all of a sudden it was the great resignation. We're all going to work for ourselves. We're all going to be on our own. We don't need nobody. Well, now we've got, you know, the great regret. The honeymoon's over. They got their first tax bill and uh, (laughs) they all want to run back into the corporate workforce again. But it's, we're really being indoctrinated with this judgment. I tell you what I'm doing today, and you can psychoanalyze me because I know you've got your uh, you've got your own story of I I, I do I, I I'm probably going to give me some good insight here I, I would I would like that because you've got your own story of being a single mom living on five thousand bucks a year yeah you got fifty cents to your name four dollars of gas in your tank and trying to make it from there you got you've got that and obviously you know you've made it uh, I've I'm not I have I'm a not, high school education high school oh really. A little bit of a rebel, you think? (laughs) You know, the real part of my story is that if you understood the level and there will come a time when I will be able to share more in depth, more than 15 life-altering and many life-threatening traumatic events that I lived through, my statistics should put me in prison, dead, or a drug addict. That's what I was groomed to end up as. If you had 15, how do you not have a victim mindset or did you have a victim mindset which is or how why you did had i 15. not end up with did what's hmm. did 
dissociative identity disorder used to be called oh, okay, schizophrenia, yes. Okay, yes. which is basically a result of trauma in the brain and the fracturing in the brain and the fracturing of the neural pathways. Mm-hmm. So how have those things not taken hold of you? I know the answer wow. is Jesus. I know the answer is Jesus. I know that, yeah, but, but that's what a have been the things that, that he's, he's used? That's actually a question that my my therapist often challenges me to seek the answer for because it really is relevant. And a lot of my grooming from certain predators was to not acknowledge the very thing that got me out of that. You know, I was I was not only raised by a psychopathic pedophile, I was married to a narcissistic religious man. And, you know, I don't use those terms lightly. These are terms that should be clinically defined, not just because someone has a strong opinion or is an abusive person. These are clinical definitions that part of my healing has been to state that's what I incurred. I also incurred so many different other heinous things. And one thing I do know is a desire to not allow what has happened to me for my future developed to me at a very, very young age. And by the time I was 12, I realized that God was okay with me thinking differently than most of the world. And how I came upon that belief, I still am not quite sure, but I was really, I'm really wired with, if there's a problem, what's the solution? I'm not saying that I wasn't victim mindsetted at some point. I'm not saying that I wasn't in some sort of catastrophic type mindset for many, many years. I was, but I am, there was always this underlying push to what could be if this was not. And I really am discovering that that kind of anomaly type mindset caused me to question my reality often. Now, clinically, when you hear some of the things that I dealt with dealing with, you know, a parent who did Munchausen by proxy on me, making me sick, poisoning me intentionally to try to make me sick so they could rescue me, Mm. grooming me with codependence, um, it's not ironic or like we we don't see it as odd that I when I did end up in the church, the first place I ended was the most legalistic, constraining church I could find because I was groomed my whole life that God is angry with me, mm-hmm. that if I don't obey my predators, God will get me, that I will never enter heaven because of the wounds that that I incurred because of dirtiness and all these different things that I was groomed with. It made sense that I would end up in a very legalistic church. But even there, my love for Jesus, like my love for God is a very intimate thing. It's not textually based on memorization of of verses. It's really getting to know the person of God and spending my life trying to understand who he made me to be. And I look back and uh, I was always afraid to go there, if you will, on the ramification of what could have happened to me and what I ended up becoming on my path of healing, there was a door here and that was being willing to say, this happened to me. And I was so terrified of that for fear of being labeled 
ill like my predators or being found to be as dysfunctional as the very ones who violated and fractured me. But I found that that doorway of admitting the evil that is actually in some people opened me to this environment where I walk now. And that is seeing in spite of a gang rape, in spite of being violated as a little kid, which could mess you up for life, in spite of religious trauma, I went on to build companies. I went on to raise my children. I went on to overcome four times they told me I had a year to live. And I'm having, I'm not there yet because it's it's a process of healing to embrace the fact that God made me a badass. (laughs) And that he's okay with that. And that he likes my warrior spirit. And he also likes the feminine little girl who wants to just be girly, girly. And that all of those dynamics are me. They're not in conflict of me. Well, what I hear from you is um, there hasn't necessarily been a process you've gone through, though you've gone through processes. You're in therapy. You're multiple. You're, you're processes, looking at your yeah. stuff. You're you're digging in big, yeah. big, big, big. But it also just seems to me just hearing snippets of you, which I've known now for an entire fifty minutes, that there's just probably a different grace that God deposited in you. He deposited in you the ability to be more resilient than maybe other people could, mm. just like other people have deposited them a spirit of grace to be able to be more empathetic or be able to mm-hmm. be more artistic, or whatever. I mean, you've, you've definitely got a superpower in terms of endurance and resiliency. It doesn't mean that we all can't learn from you and that we all can't get better at it, but I mean, you certainly, I'm not saying anything new to you, right? Because well, <laughs> well, and that is something that I had to come to a realization, not only that, but I also have a really high level of empathy But my empathy is within the framework of how often I had to figure stuff out on my own, which doesn't lend itself towards supporting a victim mindset. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm not pastoral. You know what I mean? I tell people, God made me apostolic. I'm going to tell you to pull up your bootstraps, change your own dang diaper, and let's go. (laughs) Pastors are going to walk with you and talk it out and not me. I'm up here. Let's go. <laughs> I'm trying to make a pathway so we all can go through. Yeah, I wish everyone could see you because we're talking on Zoom right now. You know, you've, you've teared up a number of times. You're not just a, you know, hard as nails go getter. I mean, you've certainly got a tender side to you. And uh, very much. It, it's been good seeing that. I, it, it's been good being with you. I'm really, Brian, I know for the fact of the matter, I'm alive because of the love of God, but I'm alive because I've known Him. And I've known him to be true. And I can't quite figure out why he gave me the ability to make so much money so quickly and see things I shouldn't. I put myself in front of a computer and I saw trends and patterns of people's behavior and advertising. And I see trends and patterns of behavior in the stock market. So what the enemy tried to use to destroy me, God used to promote me. <laughs> well, I thought we were going to spend a lot of time talking business and money. We this has been different. Well, we can it's talk a, money. Well, this has been great. You ain't I mean, making I, hell of money. Why you're not? Why you're doing it if you're trucking full? Well, I want to. <laughs> 
I want to spend maybe the last five minutes on that. This has been great. You know, I never know what I'm going to get into with the guests. So I'm glad we got into what we're getting into. Um, thank you for opening up yourself, pushing us on areas and talking, talking in ways that are quite frankly, very, very, very refreshing. And, and just because I know you can do it, very, very few people could get into the deep emotional trauma of their life and talk some of the things that you've taken us down and then shift into a, how do you make money? Let's do that in five minutes. <laughs> All right. So here I am. I'm frustrated financially. Mm. How, how do I get to a new place financially? What do you got for us? Why are you frustrated financially? Because I can't do all the things that I want to do. Why can't you do all the things you want to do? Because I have responsibilities. I got I have responsibilities. I can't I can't do all the things that uh, you know someone else wants me to do. I got I got I got I got to hold down the fort. Okay, so basically, what you're saying then is people who are successful don't have responsibilities and don't have to hold down the fort and have something more than you. Is that correct? Yeah, probably. Mm. Well, that belief needs to go because it's not true. So when we are frustrated, we end up in a debate. Why am I frustrated? Because I have a family, because I have this job, because I went to college and I have this, I have to take this career. Why? What belief tells you that once you go through a college education, you are now sucked into a job forever and you can't change it? What belief holds you in your state? Because that's where your family lives. Even if God might call you or a better financial opportunities later. We have to confront our own beliefs about money, about ourselves, about how people create wealth. People think, no, no, I'm just going to start a business. And they get their website up and they get their Squarespace up and they get the graphics up and they get this great person who teaches them how to do social media content. And you know, now they're going to be rich and they're already calculating they're only going to work part-time. I need the four-hour work week. And then they're confronted with the fact that they have to deal with people because people have the money. <laughs> Whatever you want more of it, you have to serve them well or and sell them something. You get what I'm saying? That's yep. the current economy we live in. And dealing with making money is more than just putting up something and selling it because a lot of people make money, but very few people know how to hold on to it. People can making money is easy. Creating wealth is not. That's where you get into the mindset. And now you start challenging what you learned in school. You learned in school, the only way you get to the next grade is to complete everything here. You're not allowed to go up until you finish what's here. So this is a grooming process of succession. The only way you get to the higher level is you have to complete everything here. That's not true in entrepreneurialism. And you don't have to break any laws and you don't have to be immoral either. You actually can pop from one level to the next when you're operating in your own instinctive nature and understand your gifts in that, then we go into an employee mindset. Well, I've never been aware that in order for me to make $50,000 a year, my boss had to do marketing. My boss had to do this and they had to do that. And most people are completely clueless to that. So when they want to make more money, they are only perceiving it from that, which they currently know. And to them, that means more hours, more effort, more striving, when actually it should mean more knowledge because money likes speed and it likes knowledge. You don't lack money, you lack knowledge. And so we start addressing these issues and I made millions of dollars with typos in my emails. Like I, I'm, I'm the queen of the imperfect. And that's so threatening to people who have everything so aesthetically pleasing and perfect and beautiful, but they're broke. 
(laughs) And so being able to make more money, we have to dig into how do we get where we are? What are we actually looking at what we want and why do we want it? And what will it take to get there? Sandy Krakowski, this has been an amazing time. Also now known by me as Sandra D, because now we're close here and you got a nickname. This has been this has been really, that. really strong, sister. If someone wants to follow up with you, get in on all of your coaching, just you know, reach out. How, how does someone follow you? They can find me on Instagram by my name. There are currently 32 impersonators and some broke mm, fools who are impersonating me. It goes with the territory, but look for the blue verified check and you'll find me. You can also go to my website at arealchange.com and you'll find my business academy and my stocks and investment academy. Well, so there you have it. You know, Sandy dropped a lot of bombs on us today. I don't know if you're dealing with trauma. I don't know if you're dealing with uh, scarcity in your finances. I don't know if you're dealing with just something in your life that's tough, but hey, there's something that was said here that's going to help you get to a new place. Let's get to a new place. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.